They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Thank you, fans. It's not often we talk about subjects. Well, firstly, welcome to the podcast. But um, our next guest, it's not often we talk about um, guess sports that aren't running. We do sometimes when we think there's an amazing story. And Ruel was suggested to us as a potential guest by one of the listeners. If you don't know about Ruel, his his background, he's basically overcome a huge amount to go to the Olympics in the javelin. I thought it would be amazing to hear about the javelin just as much as his backstory. But welcome on the podcast, the wonderful Ruel Bradstock. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Trying to stay cool here in a uh, nice cool Atlanta in the USA. How come you've ended up in Atlanta then? Because that is certainly a, not an Atlantan accent. No, I've, I've actually been um, in the US now since uh, 1981. Um, I got offered a scholarship over at, uh, in the um, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Um, so at that time, there's only in England, there's Loughborough and Borough Road, mm. and that neither one had, a, had an arts program. Uh, and we really wanted to pursue art. Um, so when the opportunity came up, um, and, they, and it was all expenses paid, it was a full scholarship. Um, so, so I could train full time and, and uh, pursue my art and start getting my art education. Is is that your art behind you? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, amazing. Oh, so can can people go on and buy your art online or kind of these yeah, for sale? Uh, oh yeah, rawbrastock.com on your website now. So, um, I'm actually now you know I was in the '84 and '88 Olympics and all snips, um, and '92 and all snips for the uh, US and and then '96. Um, but then in 2000, I was actually an um, Olympic artist for the US. Uh, and then again in um, 2018, I was actually lead artist for the IOC in Chongqing, the arts program at the Winter Olympics. Um, and I'm now on the um, Olympic Cultural and Heritage Commission. I'm also um, the chair of the World Olympians uh, uh, Arts Committee. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know any of those roles actually existed. So we're going to add that to the list of like four things I already want to talk to you about. <laughs> and the first one, you, you mentioned how about Loughborough and was it Borough Road? Um, yeah. I, I, where, where's Borough Road? I've not heard of that being referenced as like a, a sports excellence centre. Well, no, and they changed the name now to, uh, what's it called? I don't know. So in London, it has a big... Uh, um, I don't know. And is it was it a university where you could study potentially? I'm sorry, say again. Is it a university you could study at then for? Yes. Um, oh, so maybe it's London Metropolitan or something similar. Um, interesting. Okay. Um, so why don't you why don't you explain about I guess the 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 early the early impact of your your disability on on your life and and that that 
beginning into um, into javelin. Well, really, it was it was the um, and this was back in 1968 when I was a young um, you know, six-year-old, and uh, I was diagnosed with spina bifida. I used to, my my mother noticed that my uh, head was growing at an enormous you know, uh, uh, rate, about an inch inch a week in circumference. And in a period of like six weeks, um, you know, my, you know, six week in, six inch um, increase in, in my head was you know something very unusual. Um, so she took me into the doctor, had these um, X-rays and all these tests, and they found out I had you know, spina bifida and hydrocephalitis, which usually goes hand in hand. And um, from that point on, about every three to six months. I'd actually have to go into hospital and have get um, be measured and have all these these tests and kind of um, I didn't know um, how serious it was, um, but it was right around the same time. It was before or after. I was watching the Mexico Olympics, and a little black and white TV, and I remember just um, I was just absolutely enthralled. It was actually Ron Pickering, um, you know, his first BBC uh, commentating. Job I didn't know that at the time. Um, he lived about like about a quarter mile from me. I got to meet him years later, but uh, but it was from that point on that I knew I wanted to be an Olympian. And I'm the kind of person that just uh, um, you know, when you tell me I can't do something, that's more reason to do it. And 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 what kind of how how I understood was spina bifida at the time, and and what were the I guess the um, the issues around it. Um, I really, I don't know. I mean, my mother was a nurse, which is why the um, she noticed it, and also my mother. So, um, and what she noticed was my, me just constantly slumping forward, kind of stretching my neck out. Um, obviously, if my head's growing that um, that rate, then then you know it's a dramatic increase in weight too. Mm. Uh, but what I didn't realize was um, until much later that, you know, the, the, I found out, I think really in my 80s, I mean, 1980s, there was a, um, in my 20s, that you know, there's a potential that I could have actually had to um, die or had, a, had to have a shunt put in um, to alleviate the pressure. Um, you know, sometimes that happens when you stop growing around 17, 18. Um, but yeah, I mean, apart from that, I really didn't know, and it didn't really affect me, other than uh, I wasn't allowed to play any contact sports like rugby. Um, I, you know, I started swimming, um, and I, you know, I always like throwing things, so I just uh, I picked up a javelin, you know, a javelin proper, 1973. I could throw further than anyone else. And I think some of the uh, the record school and district records actually still stand today. Wow, so that was just natural talent. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, just like a sprinter, right? You have to have fast legs, and then you kind of you know, train to kind of get that little extra to be a javelin throw. I mean, you have to have a fast arm, um, and then you kind of work from there. And the irony is, is that kind of you know, to become a really good javelin thrower, you have to learn how not to use your arm and use the rest of the body, and the arm will come in, you know, by itself. It's, and that's really, I think, the hardest thing for um, athletes. And you know, following my, you know, my my craft, 
problem is how do you do that? And and do you think um do you think spina bifida in some ways helped in any way or was it always a, a hindrance? Um, well, it didn't help, but I think that um, you know, looking back, you know, now in my sixties, um, you know, looking back at you know, why do I still throw? I mean, there's <laughs> there's no financial benefit to it, and just the kind of um, and I think really going back to you know being diagnosed and you know being creative and being stubborn. I think that you know my personality, you know it it's it's just motivated me to to push harder and just you know I push boundaries, I push buttons, I challenge you know myself, but I challenge other people and just in in uh, what you see, what you think you see, you know, um, and I think that you know, what I did it made me really tap into my creative juices as far as how do I reach my full potential. Um, given these limitations, and uh, again, so, I mean, you know, the way I I throw is very unorthodox, and um, and basically the idea behind it was as opposed to just running up really fast and hitting it, and you know, throwing as hard as I could, I come up slow, I, I wrap. It's kind of like a cross between like a discus and a discus throw and a and a golf swing. What I'm doing is basically. Um, Increasing the range, um, the pull, but what I'm doing is basically diffusing the impact on my spine. I mean, I mean the other part of it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get as long a pull as I can to generate as much power as I can for as long as I can. And the flip side of that is it also reduces the stress on my spine. And was, did you did you have to start off with that technique because of, um, or, or was that something that you've you've had to develop since you've had can I, I, I can... Yeah, I, I had to develop it. I mean, there was, um, and I had to find out. Uh, I knew what the way I had to throw, and I had to find a coach that knew how to throw that way. So and I, I, I did... basically, you know, um, designed my uh, technique around the Olympic champion uh, Miklos Nemeth in 1976. Oh, so you'd studied him and you'd seen actually how he performed and realised that that would be a way that you could you yeah. could copy that that would and um and and was it easy to find a coach who could do that or is that quite a challenge? Uh, it was quite a challenge, but then I found one, uh, Dave Cobb. I can um, I went to a coaching camp, training camp at Crystal Palace, um, beginning of 1979, and at that time I was throwing. 56 meters, and by, by uh, 1981, I was throwing 83 meters at age 19. Wow. So, I mean, so what were the big differences then that helped you leap forward? Was it just getting used to the technique, or how else could you improve in something like the javelin? Well, you guys like this, where it's, <laughs> the one thing you made us do was a lot of running. And it was the okay. repeats of the track, um, you know, hill running. I mean, he was a runner. Um, he wasn't a thrower. He was actually a engineer. And he understood. And I told him, what, you know, my theory. He totally agreed with it. And you know, from the biomechanical aspect, so uh, it was basically, you know, kind of 
solving a puzzle, right? You know, here, here's the problem we're in, here's the restrictions I have, uh, and here's how, how, how we can, in theory, uh, best resolve it. And again, I, I do that today now with um, what I'm dealing with as far as my aging body and you know, the, the restrictions, but also in my art, I'm constantly uh, you know, creating and, and, and solving problems at the same time you know, in my artwork and, and, and use repetition. If you look at it, it's repeating shapes and lines and basically kind of paying homage to what athletes do, like repeating you know, um, exercises and, and uh, drills get stronger, get faster, get you know, better at um, what we do. Now, um, we're going to come on to the art in a bit because, um, I mean, talking about your art, I love the picture of you dressed in a kind of a Union Jack onesie um, that you'd hand painted. Is is that something you did quite often? Uh, no, it's really where, yeah, I've been a, you know, a, an athlete and an artist all my life and, you know, um, I didn't see the connection, and I just the two are completely opposite. What I what I thought were completely separate, independent, completely different ends of the spectrum, um, but also both really time consuming. It was really in in um, 99, 2000, um, when I found out about the um, the Sydney Olympics. They had a sport art competition, and I did some research and found out that Pierre de Coubertin um, who founded the modern Olympic Games, was an athlete, was an artist, and basically what he wanted to do is promote, you know, the, the, the full person, right, the kind of, and also, you know, um, through education. And, uh, and it was at that point I started realizing that, you know, the problem I had wasn't that sport and art were different, it was that they're, they're the same. And when I came to that realization, everything completely changed. And I started, you know, I turned the jab and run way into a fashion one way. And I thought, how funny would it be now to kind of, you know, if you look at me, you know, I'm throwing a stick, right? Um, you know, there's an art to throwing. There's an art to anything. There's basically a skill. Um, you know, when I'm competing, I know where the, the cameras are going to be, you know, the uh, photographers. So I basically, you know, created up um, designed sort of painting outfits. Uh, when I was competing, and a lot of them actually weren't actually finished on the back. They were just basically painted on the front. So um, <laughs> <laughs> when they, they caught me, it would just be, you know, great, give them a photo. So it's the, you know, um, timing, again, just like with art, you know, it's timing. And it's about, you know, when to do that. Uh, you know, give media um, a hook, give them a good image, give them a good story. Um, you know, the athlete, the artist, the, the you know, the age aspect, the, the overweight, the under, whatever. So kind of, then it was the outfits. And I took that then to um, having gone through and broken the British and European Commonwealth you know, and then world records. And, um, I thought it'd be kind of funny then to start making up records and just, uh, you know, if I'm the first one to, to throw a, you know, whatever, an ashtray or just... And it, it's a it's a world record. It may not be official, but it's just. Uh, I started playing with that on YouTube, and and um, 
I started getting a lot of followers and just a, um, a lot of uh, um, attention. And uh, and again, just kind of you know taking that idea about an athlete is an artist, and basically we're, we're performers. We're on stage. There's no no different to you know a musician you know, or being in an orchestra or an actor being on stage. Um, and so to me, it was just an extension where it's um, painting the outfits was just going that next step, and then it was then painting my my javelins, and then it's you know doing the YouTube videos and kind of pushing it, pushing it to to you know different audience, and you know getting out of just uh, painting on a wall. And and what would you say is the kind of motivation behind that? Is it is it the fun of it, or are you trying to? inspire people into sport or inspire people into art or a bit of both you know what it's actually neither i think it's i'm i'm pursuing my two passions i'm not trying to push being a javelin thrower being an athlete being an artist um these are my two passions and i've managed to find a way to blend them together and and past that point now where it's you know about making the olympic team or you know, meddling or just the the now it's um just pushing the boundaries now it's the age boundary now it's the kind of you know doing something that you know say it's attention seeking whatever but it's just to me it's like performance art and it's just the um but i'm also being respectful it's like you know i'm still throwing well not out there you know like a streaker in a you know football game where it's just you know, a distraction and just kind of being silly and stuff kind of, you know, I'm, I'm serious of what I'm doing and I'm, I'm doing it and being respectful to the sport. Um, and, not, and, you know, the irony is, is that I think my creativity, well, I know the spine bifida you know, hurt me as far as um, being selected. I was very open about that from the start. And if you look at any of the videos, I mean, film from, Back in the 80s, you know, Ron Pickering's constantly talking about it when I'm in the Coliseum in 84, about bad back, bad back, bad back. And it's just, you know, I was got the Commonwealth Games over there now, I guess I was never selected. And even in 86, I was had the world record. And they, and they wouldn't pick me for, um, and not only that, I didn't even make the English team. But then uh, three days after um, the Commonwealth Games, they had the, England against the Commonwealth uh, medalists, and I wasn't even, you know, uh, on that on the England beating. And what what did they say when they weren't selecting you? Like, how did they try and justify they, that? There was no one to talk to. You don't know who the selectors were exactly, or what was being said behind closed doors. And um, being in back to '86, I actually went up to Gateshead and actually showed up at the stadium. Because I knew that that night they're going to pick the European um, team for the Europe, Great Britain European, um, and they tried. You know, they wanted me to compete in Belfast the next day or something. I'm like, no, no, I'm competing there. So we well, can't. They said, you know, you can't get here anyway. Because I'm like, no, I'm at the stadium. So they, they actually allowed me. I was the only uh, unattached athlete that competed um, at that meet, and I won. I beat everybody. And uh, so they, they had to select me. And, um, and do you get a sense of why they didn't want to select someone who was clearly going to do better for the team? Well, I think, I think, I mean, you know, um, especially now in hindsight, I think it was uh, one that 
Um, they knew about spina bifida. I mean, I, I know that as a fact. I mean, it was just the, uh, I think then the fact that um, my technique was very unorthodox and mm. frowned upon by by the establishment. So my kind of, but then there's also in 81, I mean, I, I moved to America and then I became, you know, a foreign athlete coming back there. And that was, I think now it's very common, but back then I was when mm. I was kind of the first wave of, of athletes that were doing that. Um, and quite honestly, I mean, I, I did it for several reasons. I mean, it was, I always wanted to come to America. Um, I was always very drawn to that can do and, and you're not limited by where you come from. It's about, you know, what you accomplish. Um, and when the opportunity came, I jumped on it. And it's just the, um, but I've always done that. But the, um, but anyway, so I just looked at the, you'd have to ask the selectors and stuff, but it was just the, uh, um, I also, you know, I, I was very vocal and challenged, mm. you know, questioned it as I think I have every right to do. And, yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting now where it's coming full circle, where it's, um, you know, my creativity is now, you know, brought me into the IOC where it's, you know, they, they, you know, want someone that thinks outside the box that just kind of, and this whole kind of revival of um, these Olympic ideals and about the, um, you know, the other side of athletes, right? It's just the, you know, we're, we're more than a single, singular, just, we're just athletes. And, uh, and, you know, and now the mental health aspect has become a hot topic. And again, it comes back to, you know, family and, and, and pursuing your, your, uh, your other interests and your other passions. And I think that's, you know, really important um, with athletes in any sport, at any level, at any age. And because um, I'm, I'm almost surprised that given, given your relationship with the Olympics, that you, you weren't almost resentful of like, the Olympic Committee and the Olympic dream, the Olympic ideals, and, and didn't want to, and, and, and just refused to get involved. Um, yeah, but, but it, just to be clear, I mean, it wasn't the, the IOC, it wasn't the, I mean, it was a, more the local, the national level. Hmm. And but back to your point is exactly why I don't know. I can you know guess. I can go back and say, well, you know, I, I now I look at it and they, well, these are these things they they knew and just the um. So I don't know, and you know I don't even know who was on the committees. I mean everything was behind doors, and, hmm. and I think it's still going on today as far as with selections and they kind of. Um, but I wasn't one of the you know at that time it was all. You know, Cram and Co. and, and Daley Thompson and Fadim, I mean, all the big names. So I was kind of, you know, second tier. Um, so it's just the, um, but again, I mean, that's again a life lesson, right? With what I'm doing now as an athlete, as a, as a, as an artist, is talking about, you know, we all come up against um, obstacles. You know, things we can we can um, point our fingers to that are very tangible, but also things we can't. And to me, it's just about how you address that and how you overcome it. And to me, it's uh, you know turning that frustration and anger and whatever, and you know how to you know turn that into a positive and to, to fuel you to to push harder. So, um, if you kind of to explain 
what your actual role has been, where you've kind of progressed through your artistry with the Olympic movement. What, because I, I truly, I don't think most people understand or didn't, wouldn't even realise that it's a big part of Olympic considerations. So do you want to kind of talk through the type of projects you've been involved with and, and the influence you've been able to have with your role? I think that the um, the well, the first kind of major role I had was with um, an organisation called Art of Olympians, and it was founded by um, the late great Al Erta, the four-time consecutive uh, Olympic medalist. Um, he started this group uh, back in uh, about 16 years ago, um, and it's really you know finding uh, and recruiting you know uh, uh, Olympians. And, and Paralympians that are involved in the arts, and um, you know, having exhibitions. But but to me, it was, it's kind of really expanded now to um, you know, creating a platform where you know, athletes, Olympians, Paralympians, are involved in the arts, you know, at all levels and all mediums, um, you know, have opportunities to can you know to showcase their talent, to talk about their um, their past, their life experience as an athlete, but also how the, you know what the connection is between sport and the arts. Like you talked about you know, earlier about the, I didn't see the connection. Then you know, I've done working with the British government, you know, doing this, going up to um, uh, 2012, the whole sport art program in schools, and. Uh, <clears throat> At the beginning of like you know those one day workshops, pretty much the you know the kids saw no connection between sport and art. Hmm. You know five hours later, and we we polled this, including the teachers. You know eight out of ten, you know thought there's a very strong connection. They they could you know actually just kind of going through it, and talking about, and again you just think about you know, um, you know just the opening ceremony. I mean the, the Olympics is basically hmm. bookended by a theatre production. Right, there's music, there's dance, there's pageantry, there's the kind of you got you know, all the medal ceremonies. It's it's flags, it's music. You know, flags are designed, medals are. You know, someone makes those. There's, there's the reliefs. There's um, they've been sculpted pretty much. Um, you know the uniforms. We just go on and on. Right, it was just the. Um, so when you start seeing that that perspective, uh, and you start seeing goes okay, well, you know, and to me, I think if you take away word arts and maybe say creativity hmm. and start looking at at you know what athletes do and yeah I mean you've got to be so creative into how to work around injuries how to you know um, how to push yourself you know put, you know uh, modify an exercise modify a routine just kind of depending on your sports um, and you know think about Dick Fosby right the uh, American high jumper hmm. 1968, everyone laughed at him because he was jumping backwards over a bar and he was ridiculed, whatever. And then what happens? He ends up, you know, winning, winning the uh, Mexico Olympics and it completely changed the event. Same thing with, uh, I can't his name now, the Russian shot for a spinner in the early 70s. And, you know, now you know, most of the top throwers in the world spin, you know, in the shot put. But to me, it's just a constantly looking at um, 
how to improve and how to get better. Um, and I think it applies to to all all uh, sports. If, for people listening at home who maybe haven't thought about running or other sports they're involved in in a creative way, like what what would you recommend? How would you recommend they actually be become more creative? In particularly in relation to sport, like is there is there something they they should be, be an approach or and with you or if if people have kids where they don't necessarily see the link between sport and and, and art, um, like what are we trying to move towards? Well, I think it, it's just that you know um, I think that the the kind of work backwards here. So I think that the thing you should really avoid is the idea that um, we have all the answers, and you know, we're not going to get any better, you know, than running 10 seconds, 100 meters, or four minutes for a mile. That you know, these these barriers cannot be broken, right? Where it's, um, and to me, it's the you know the best coach or the best mindset you should have, um, going into it as it is to be open to ideas and and look around and see, you know, understand that you know there's more one way. More than one way to skin a cat, right? Where it's kind of um, there's not one set way. I think it's just you've got to look at you know your body type, you know whether it's the height, whatever. I mean, again, depending on the sport, you know, look at the obviously look at the best and kind of see what they do in, in their discipline and how they train. But then also, um, you know, in your in your training, uh, be very critical. Right, and really think about it's very easy to to um, to not really think and just be kind of mindless or or just uh, um, you know to me I want to know why I'm doing something or just kind mm. of um, I don't care if, what it is whether it's how I walk how I just whatever it's a kind of could I do this better I mean is this you know again working backwards is you know, my objective as an athlete my event is you know. To throw a jab as far as I can, to work backwards from there, and then how do I prioritize everything I do in my training? Um, you know, from what percentage of weights do I do? What kind of exercises do I do in my weight session? How much stretching? What's the percentage of each? You know, my diet. You know, which one has the highest impact on my my throw? And work backwards from there, and just kind of to use you know creatively that way, but it's just the but you have to be on alert. The fact that your you, your body will get so used to what you're doing, and it just becomes become very comfortable, and you want to do the kind of same exercises you like doing and you're good at. And again, like the, um, you know, what are your weaknesses? And it's being that really critical of yourself. Again, I'm an uh, an artist, so I'm looking at a painting. All I'm doing the entire time of creating something is figuring out. You know, here's what I want it at the end, and what's wrong with it, and how do I get there? And understanding that it's just the, um, you know, to improve, it's all, it's not just positives, but it's also the negatives, right? Where it's just the kind of, um, you know, understanding what's hurting you, and maximize, and just, so again, it's just, it's, it's all about perspective. You just come down to it. And then, um, have you found, because you've, been incredible the fact you've managed to take part in seven different Olympic trials. Um, I think even eight. at the age of it's eight. Wow. Yeah. Um, and 
even in the you know even at the age of 50 um like how, have you found that how you had to train has changed significantly in that time and, and what do you put it down to the fact that you've you've been at such a high level for for such a long time well i think it's just um i think what well, it comes down then just there's things we can we can measure right the tangibles um but to me it's those intangibles i mean how do you measure passion how do you measure drive how do you measure you know stubbornness <laughs> Right, and to me, it's just uh, um, it's always been about me. It's been about the Olympics, and it's about me against the tape measure. And you know, I never, I mean, no one sets out, you know, as a young kid, a teenager, or whatever. I want to be a master's thrower. I want to be a master's athlete. You know, competing when I'm 50, 60. No one does that. <laughs> it just kind of happens by by default. I mean, I didn't plan this. Mm. Mm. Um, but again, I think to me, it's the reason I'm still doing it because I, I enjoy doing it. I can, but that's not by accident. To me, it's taken a lot of work and the fact that um, consistency. Um, I've never stopped, even though, you know, um, 2012, 2017, I, I stopped competing for five years. Um, but I still went to the track. I still competed. I um, still was training. Um, but I think that to ask a question about the, I always put, again, going back to my first major coach, Dave Cobb, was that running, that conditioning, the cardio, being fit. And I think with with getting out of the throwers, I mean, Javelin is the one that actually requires a little bit of running, albeit you know, only a few steps. Um, but, you know, going back to 2012, you know, I came second at the British Trials, Hmm. And uh, I was kind of stunned by how out of shape these young lads were. They were like, you know, after the competition, they were laying around with ice bags and, and like, they could be on through a battle. And then 19, 18, 19, 20, I mean, early 20s. And the next oldest guy to me was a guy um, who won it who was, I think, 27. And there I am, I came second. I'm walking around, I'm with often afterwards, and they're buying me drinks at the bar. I'm perfectly fine. I mean, I'm, you know, uh, it was cold, but the, uh, but to me, it just goes back to basics. It's not rocket science. I think a lot of times we overthink everything to, you know, to the minutia and get so lost in the in the big picture. And to me, that's where again, prioritize, you know, field sprinter, distance runner, a thrower, jumper, whatever. So kind of, what is your goal as an athlete? And then work backwards from there and in your training. But to me, it goes under, you know, what underpins that is you've got to be fit and you've got to be healthy. And as you get older, um, there's less, there's less wiggle room. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just the, and you have to, again, also embrace the fact that you've got to start modifying uh, the way you train. And, you know, it's, it's the hardest part, quite honestly, it's the hardest the training is, it's the mental aspect because um, imagine, let me get kind of example as far as, imagine working, right, and you work hard, you work hard, and you start getting paid less and less. Mm -hmm. you know, it takes away <laughs> the motivation, right? Yeah. And especially when you're used to, so to me it's that mindset of how the hell do you, do you stay motivated knowing that you're training to get worse. Mm. 
and there's and there's no way around that. So it's just a kind of so it's you know anyone who thinks that whether me or, or any masters athlete is uh, going out there out of just pure ego to just kind of you got to be kidding me. I mean to me it's it's a very different a very humbling uh, experience and. I think a lot of masters I mean, they do it for the social aspect. I just, I'm more just, again, um, do it for myself and kind of, I'm against the tape measure and I'm looking at the record books. I'm comparing apples mm. to apples as far as, you know, with masters, they have, you know, five year age groups. So I can look at, you know, at the events and see at 60 and 65, I can see what's going to happen to me. And if, if I carry on doing this and it's just, and it's really demoralizing, it's like, I'm going to get that bad. But if you know, if I can still break world records and kind of, um, 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 you know, I'm going after world records. Mm. Look at it as it's still. I mean, but there's fewer and fewer people. It's a smaller and smaller group. Mm. If you thought there's a, you know, javelin throwing is, is a small group to start with. Um, it gets it gets really small the older you get, I and mean, it's just. And and were they all because in running we found the people who are better, older aged. Are, are nearly all late starters and kind yep. of 10 yep. years into running like is yep. is that do you get a lot of people are there people coming into the javelin at an older age or is it are most people established javelin javeliners who continued no it, it means exactly to your point that I mean it's it's very rare that you have um athletes that were world record holders olympians that carry on throwing because basically what happens is your body's so beaten up and, and mm. in any of the events and but also it, it just you know if you've gone you know if you're climbing Mount Everest and you know you're, you're peak and just to to then going and, and walking you know little molehills it was just a kind of mm. does that make sense it was just a kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. motivation takes away but in, in my events I mean, most most javelin throwers don't make it to to uh, international, barely make it to, to their 30s. You end up usually, you know, usually your elbow, your shoulder, or your knees are just. I mean, it's the intensity is just um, mm. it's insane, and it's just the. Um, but what I found, my experience is that uh, these throwers that used to throw in high school, maybe college. And they took a break and then maybe came back and you know this started throwing later but they used to most of them i think have had some uh, background when they were younger they don't just come into completely um without any background mm. um but yeah and it's also i look at the we just had the world masters um last week and you notice that the the, the throwers that are doing well or winning are getting smaller there's so basically again people that are lighter, people that are fitter, uh, which makes sense. We start throwing a lighter javelin. You don't need that mass. You don't need the you know the bulk. Um, you've also got to be able to to move, and you know you start losing that elasticity and just kind of. So again, it's a um, I've, I've changed some things in my technique, but also mm. um, I mean to me, I'm very much about rhythm and and um, all about timing and it's just the um but it's just the as a friend of mine said recently he's like there's no way to throw a javelin slowly <laughs> well, there, well there is but you won't throw it anywhere but just i mean it's something that's that's a stretch reflex and it's all dynamic 
And you know, as you get older, I mean, we, we have, I mean, you can still hit your peak strength. I mean, into your into your forties. Um, but you know, the, the speed's the thing that you know you, you start losing, and again, it gets magnified. Um, in an event where you're running up, it involves you no know, running, kind of bounding, twisting, stretching, and throwing. Mm. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm still here. But every day I go out, I can do it. And like I never know if that's going to be the last. <laughs> and just going back to when you were at the UK Champs and came second in the bar, like what did the other throwers make of you? Like how, yeah. what, how did, the, what was going through their head? Do you think? Um, I think disbelief was just because uh, that's going to be pretty humbling from their point of view. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um. But again, I mean, I've gone through it now, so, you know, I've been asked, you know, during uh, a national, this was at the U.S. Um, national, so this was 20 years ago, I was 40. Okay, I was asked during the competition, it came out to the middle of the field, and I was asked to leave. Coaches were not allowed to be in the, in the, <laughs> uh, in the field. And I was sitting next to the national coach, uh, all the other javelin throwers are just roaring with laughter. <laughs> and I'm trying to explain that I'm an athlete. And then they call my name up and I said, well, can I take my throw first before you, you kick me off? <laughs> so I, I threw and then came, came back and they've gone. But that went then from Olympic trials in 08 where um, I was trying to get my accreditation. And this was in the U.S. again. Mm. And they, they told me I had to go somewhere else. And like, they told me here because this is only for athletes. I just and then in 2012 in in Birmingham, I was with my wife, and now I'm going through the whole thing, you know, over there. And I just to my wife, I said, you, you just, "This is what I go through. It's just like how kind of it's to the point now. It's, it's you know, I don't take it personally." Mm. And do I come quite, in. Do you quite enjoy I, it? Do you quite enjoy it when it happens? <laughs> I wouldn't say I enjoy it. It's just to me, it's the it amuses me. Um. But anyway, so I'm, I'm with my wife, and then I go and look at me, and they say, and, and my wife stops, and she says, don't tell him, you know, the coach, he goes, came in with his javelins, do it this, he's, you know, she, I would have liked her to be quiet and just let them kind of go down the path before I said anything, but <laughs> um, then some other people went, and goes, no, that's, you know who that is, right? And they go, no. Um, but, you know, when my wife and I first got together, this is uh, 07, used to sit up in the stands and it'll be um they go oh here comes oh, grandpa's up next or uh, or yoda say oh yoda's yoda's throwing I'm like yoda wait that's the wrinkly guy i'm like okay <laughs> i lived in a line going okay that's kind of funny but um <laughs> but now it's gone to the point of not only am i you know obviously older than the athletes but i'm older than the parents mm. well now i mean this year you know now 60 going off to another world age record um i'm now hanging out with the the, the coaches afterwards who are in their 60s and mm. and they're loving it and just kind of if they like you know especially when um we break records and stuff but um so it's a it's a very interesting journey um but it was again at the last meal i went to i i was stopped at every gate they, they wouldn't, even though I carried my javelins, they said, no, you need this. I'm, I'm one of the athletes. 
and then the they came over now speaker that I was throwing and just uh you know, I just said and I just showed them my, my driver's license. Said, That's me, the one they're talking about and they they come back five minutes late and they stopped me again. It's just you know, it is what it is and to yeah. me it's that um I understand I'm, what I'm doing is something very different. Mm. I, I don't expect people to understand and if they don't know who I am as I kind of uh um I don't take it personally, but it's just kind of my journey, um, and just having fun with it. Like I said, I, I, I can still go to these meets and I can still, um, you know, enjoy it. But I mean, it is getting harder, and um, you know, and again, the motivation's still there. Um, you know, I just I broke the, the British over 60s record uh, four times, but I just missed the, the age record. Um, so now I've got to keep keep training hard till next year and, and try and get it next year. Um you know, God willing and you know, I'll come still alive and you know, I'll do it. So we'll see. And and when it comes to the kind of throwing unusual objects, like what was the first object that really you thought, oh this is quite fun? Well, so we back up a little bit. So I mean I've always loved throwing things. I mean in um you know, throwing stones. I mean, I hit my hit my dad on the head when he just was walking down the back road. And I kind of this is what I'm about. This is about how stupid. I mean, you know, young kids are right. That's probably about eight, nine, ten. He went down the, the garden. He's going to the, the shops. He's probably you know, I can't see him. He's about three, four houses down. I just think he should be about there. So I just throw a stone. And I like, what? So. 30 seconds, a minute later, my dad comes walking back down the garden with like blood down his head. And I hit, I hit him smack on the head. Wow. And I'm like, what? And then I think before that, where you know, we used to live in a semi-detached house, we had a couple of apple trees, and all these apples used to drop on the ground. So I, I got a bucket of apples and I was trying to throw the apples over the house. I'm throwing them up and they're rolling down the, the, um, the roof. And then I find I got one over. I got so excited. And then I got the next one over. Obviously, got, I think it's probably my first adrenaline rush. And I just started throwing one after the other over the house. <laughs> and after about five, ten minutes, whatever, and I don't think I finished all the. My mother comes running out, like, what the hell are you doing? And she kind of grabs me and puts me around the front of the house. Everyone on the road was out in the street looking out to the sky, trying to figure out. The whole road was, was littered in apples, hitting cars, <laughs> and people thought they were, they were coming from the sky. They didn't know where they were coming from, and it was just so. Anyway, so I've always thrown things, and to me, and, I, and I've always done um, thrown golf balls for arm speed. And again, frowned upon. You shouldn't do that. And just to me, it's kept my arm lively. Um, and going Why is back it frowned upon? Because you ask them. I mean, to me, it's um, something that's not done. It's just the, uh, to me, why not? I mean, it, it's, you know, mm. I can, anyway, to me, it's helped me. And, um, but going back to my, which all started, the whole thing about throwing objects was, so I've got British national, got world records, kind of, um, and I wanted, I've always wanted to throw a golf ball, get an official record. I could never do it in Guinness. I couldn't find where it was. And then, 
I think it was about 2002, 2003 maybe, so about 20 years ago. Um, I actually looked online uh, on Guinness and found the world record. And it was like 399 feet or just, um, I don't know what it was, whatever, but, but I can do that. So it took me two attempts, I had to get all these people set up and um, had, had a film, weights and measured, you know, spotters, had a, had a surveyor come in and everything they asked me for. Submitted to Guinness and then waited and waited. And after about six months, nine months, whatever, I contacted them. And again, I, you know, one of the requirements was they uh, had to submit all the original material. You could no copy. So um, I had a, you know, a, a file number and everything else. And, and uh, so I contacted them and they said, well, um, you need to resubmit your materials. And basically, I think they'd lost it, just whatever. And I'm like, well, I can give you copies, but I can't, you know, mm -hmm. um, give you the originals. And so anyway, they wouldn't validate it. So that kind of festered for a few years. And then with YouTube and, um, I, I know, at that time, you know, more world records, whatever. And I just said, you know, what does it matter if, if uh, it's official or not? Yeah. If I just start claiming records and just posting on and and that exploded on youtube you know from oh. throwing soccer balls to to ipods to just um you know filming it with me and my buddy in the field i mean there's nothing official about it whatsoever and and, and, and which one do you product. think which one of of people been most excited about it really depends and to me it's just the when i first started going back to uh when i was working with the british government doing this sports art program one of the first videos I did was uh, um, throwing an iPod. I thought it'd be really funny to have a video of me breaking a world record of throwing an iPod that you could watch on your iPod. And <laughs> also everyone knew what iPod was at that time. And Anyway, so I go to one of these schools and all the kids obviously seen the videos. And I remember this one 13, 14 year old boy asking, excuse me, sir, excuse me. He goes, uh, so we saw your videos like, yeah, he goes, uh, why would you throw an iPod? And to me, it goes exactly, it proved my point that, you know, most people don't know what a javelin is. If they haven't seen one, most people haven't felt one. But, you know, everyone knew what an iPod was, and there was a value associated with it. Mm. So, to, so to me, it's something where it was, um, you know, beyond what I wanted, where it was, they they knew what it was, but why would you throw it? Um and you know, each one has a different reason. Again, going back to the art of, there's an art to throwing, there's an art to um, throwing objects, and each object has a different way to throwing. Just like with, I threw on channel four um, against Maddie Mortimer, we threw these different objects on the airport runway, and he was trying so hard to, to beat me. He just wasn't thinking about it, and he was just, mm. uh, and the funniest was one when I, when I threw a final record, Baldunican. And he just came up, and I knew that he had to go and throw like a whip, make sure you can't pull across it. These are the old 45 records. We had no one, but it was two records. And he came up, whacked it, and he just snapped it. It went nowhere. And so everyone's laughing, uh, including his parents. And you know, I, I knew how to throw it. I just, well, in theory. And I threw mine, and it just, he went 112 meters. <laughs> it just and he had like, two film crews, so he saw it going through the air. And Paul Dickinson, who's my friend, who worked for BBC, was you know, commentating on it. And um, 
but it was just it was just so unusual. And then the location and the fact that he was 16, I was 47, <laughs> wearing my outfits and just the again it comes back to having fun and thinking outside the box and not getting you know too full of yourself. And and what would you say has been kind of the technical, the most technically hard thing to throw? Uh, I would probably say, even though I've only ever thrown that vinyl record one time, I'd say the vinyl record because it's mm. something that's so fragile. Or actually, um, a soft-boiled egg or a raw egg. <laughs> a raw egg? Yeah, well, I actually threw soft-boiled eggs, and people say, well, why soft-boiled? I'm like, well, why not? I mean, people have thrown raw eggs before, but it was like a raw egg. Um, and again, because it's when you hit it, there's it's a, how you apply the force or where you, you know it can you know we all done that test in, in school right where it's the you know crater throwing off a three four stories and you know how do you um, create something that so it won't break because you know, eggs are very strong in the right place but also very fragile so I just thought it'd be funny again to um, have a softball egg because no one's ever thrown a softball egg as far as I've known so whatever I threw. Uh, you know, it'll be a record or be unofficial. Um, but again, and this is a video on YouTube. Um, but it's the, uh, um, I think I threw three of them. And I think two of them vaporized. You know, as I threw them, it just, there was nothing left. I mean, it was just yeah. froth. And then, wow. and then one of them, and then one of them, and this was actually um, true as far as it was muddy at the other end, actually landed in the mud, coming out how far it was. 120 yards maybe, um, actually landed and it didn't break. And it just landed, you know, in, in the, I learned it before with uh, Eddie the Eagle years ago, back in the 80s, uh, some fate, whatever. And we, we were throwing, I think we were throwing at him, I think it was afterwards, we're doing the throw and catch record. And the hardest thing wasn't, you know, throwing the, the um, egg, it was, it was trying to catch it. Mm. Yeah, I've played that kind of like catch it and, and swoop around. So you almost got to cradle it, don't you? As you, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and kind of if you look at if you look back at your journey, like would you have changed? Do Do you think, say, for example, you hadn't had spina bifida? Do you think if you had been allowed into you know had been selected for those early Olympic teams, do you think you know, you would have ended up? where you are now in a similar similar vein or do you, do you think actually it's almost formed um your your passion your drive um and your playfulness yeah i think totally i think it's it's the again macy you know our life journey basically makes us who we are today right and just the things that happen today or mm. i won't be the same person tomorrow you know those experiences and it's about how you um, uh, how you absorb them, how you experience them, and and to me it's just a kind of, and that's an ongoing you know uh, battle, right? Because we're dealing with you know ego, um, dealing with responsibilities. There's always these other external factors, and you know to me it's just about life's journey, and and so those you know and just to be clear, it wasn't Olympics. It was the Commonwealth Games that I was always left out of, and. And also the first world championships in '83. Um, but look at it as, again, I mean, you know, the best sort of revenge to me is success. And to me, it's, mm. you know, that, you know, what happened to me back then is, 
yeah, I still didn't like going through it and just I had no regrets. Um, it was just my my journey, but to me it's you know, it's made me who I am today and it's brought me again from from uh, um, you know, living in America now for over over you know, forty, forty one years and my family and friends and just uh, you know, it's changed my whole life and it just and that's from throwing mm. a stick. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on and telling your, your story, which is just inspiring in so many different ways, actually. Um, is, if, if people want to um, kind of follow your journey, you, you've mentioned your, your website where they can, can buy art. Are, are there any other um, channels or, or kind of outlets where, that are good for people to kind of reach out to or follow you through? Yeah, you can go I mean, again to the website, but I'm also on uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, I guess Twitter, Facebook, uh, and also on YouTube. And I think all those all those links are on on the website. So. Perfect. Well, um, any other questions, Jody? No, I just I think there is having got young children, there is something quite human and visceral around just throwing stuff. I just yeah. can say when you the like the, the you you know the way that you're talking about it, just saying, well. It just made sense to throw stuff because it, why wouldn't you? And that's that's kind of it has. It, it's I suppose it's just maintaining that kind of that total awe of just seeing what you can do with with throwing things. So it's I I, I can I completely understand why you kind of like still have that have that passion for it. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen this, but the um, I may forward the link, but uh, there's actually an article written by. I think it's some Harvard professor or something uh, like five, six, seven years ago about the link. Uh, you know, we are as humans who we are because of throwing. Yeah. And about the fact that it, it, it totally changed the fact that, you know, we can become upright, that we, you know, we start eating meat and, you know, mm. um, killing animals. So to me, it's just so, so some part of that, um, that deep, you know, prehistoric, um, whatever it is, is is uh, within me and it's kind of bubbling through even at my ever-increasing age. So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and the good thing is, yeah, those videos on YouTube are going to live on for, for years <laughs> and years and years, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. And um, um, we do bad as do a quick Google of Rav because some of the pictures he's drawn and some of the pictures of his outfits are just sensational. So thank you so much for coming on and, and all the best with your your future attempts at throwing random stuff. <laughs> all right, we're talking to you guys. Great speaking to you. My pleasure. Cheers, Rav. All right. What a legend. <laughs> I don't think we've done a throwing stuff episode, have we? I can't think. I can't think throwing stuff has ever has has, has been a subject matter that we've we've thought about. I, th I mean, the thing is, there's there's three, four different things, like four different like, crazy topics you could talk about that are just yeah. or not crazy topics, just amazing topics. That you know, his art, his his kind of spina bifida, they're not being selected. His YouTube channels, the fact he's thrown for so many years. The fact he's represented the US and the UK, yeah. um, it's just his whole um, his whole life has just been 
what amazing kind of journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's really interesting, isn't it, when, you know, that kind of, um, when you have opportunities taken away from you because of, uh, you know, mysterious organisations, which, you know, yeah. and you know, and you know that you are the best. And it's just, mm. it's, I, I mean, I, even, you know, however, however many years on we are now, and it's still, it's still relatively mysterious. Um, it's you know it's yeah. opened up a little bit, um, but you know, being being the best doesn't guarantee you um, uh, entry to anything. Um, you know if they, if they don't, you know if you if you go against their um, you go know, against the yeah. and everything is that yeah. way. So so it's really you know it's interesting that that's still you know that's still kind of like bubbling up and you know he's like. You know, he was really proactive yeah. about it, like turning up at shit. When <laughs> turning up yeah. at shit, it was just like, well, I'm here and I'm going to win this and there's nothing you can do about it. And so go on, try not to select me on that basis. Um, yeah. It doesn't, seem he... like, it doesn't seem like incredibly bitter by it. That's the thing. It just, you know, it's, yeah. it all seems, to, I think that his attitude is just everything has kind of fallen into place and everything's kind of worked for him and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I looked up with it. It was Southbank University. Um, Borough Road. Really? Okay. Does that it does that ring a bell as to something? It says that there's a sports centre there, but it does that come across as you know as something else that would rival Loughborough as a? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known. I didn't know Southbank had a university actually, which is quite surprising given that you now I live south south of the river on not that far from the bank. Um, no, so I don't know whether at some point the grounds were sold off, whether yeah. funding funding changed and the the relevance of it they lost it, it lost its status or something. But yeah. the fact that, that you know castle. maybe it was pulled down yeah. then or yeah, yeah um, interesting. And you, you've got to think probably a loss, a huge, huge loss, really, that to have a Loughborough, you know, to, to be second only to Loughborough or, or joint with Loughborough. You know, Loughborough's seen as almost head and shoulders above all other universities of sport now. Yeah. So um, potentially could have changed just the the number of great athletes coming through. But um, yeah, it's great that he's he's clearly channeled his. His, his situation into a positive in so many ways um well do bad as if you if you've got any guests that you'd like to suggest coming on the podcast this um Rod was was suggested only about two weeks ago to us by i'm just trying to remember who it was i need to thank them because um great suggestion where they'd um they just read about him or seen about him and said let's get him on so if there's someone similar who you think would be good to to get on the podcast? Then just message me, David at badboyrun.com. Or if there's any, indeed, any particular sports that are almost do better in the way people approach them, or um, or topics that you think would be great to to get to the to the core of, then the message us. Please do leave reviews if you've liked and subscribe if you like this episode because the reviews really help us get the guests on because it, it gives us that credibility of of being a a reasonably sized podcast. Um, anything to throw into the mix, Jody? 
don't know. I was. I wonder what you were going to say there. It gives us the impression that we're a moderately <laughs> sized podcast. <laughs> we are. We are a moderately sized podcast. So the impression's okay. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. It is true. It, we're not lying yeah. to anyone. No. Yeah. True. It does reflect the reality. Before we were. Before we were. Now we're not. So it's okay. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Stand corrected. Cool. Well, um, thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye 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 admit I was a clone to be messing around but that doesn't mean that you have to leave town come back yes and give me one more try cause I love like this should I never ever die come back fuck you buddy